0: This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at H2R Market Research. You face questions about where to expand, what to market, and how to increase visitation. H2R helps you make those decisions with the most powerful ingredient available. That's your customer's voice, so you can grow visitation to your community. With their experience in tourism and expertise in consumer insights, H2R utilizes rigorous research to show you where you and where your customer wants you to go. They reveal your customer's voice. For more and a free consultation, go to h2rmarketresearch.com. And now it's on to our show. Our guest today is Joe Marinelli. With more than 30 years of experience in the tourism and hospitality industry, Joe is the president of Visit Savannah, the destination marketing organization for Savannah, Georgia, and Tybee Island. Prior to taking the helm of Visit Savannah in January of 2007, Joe served as senior vice president at Experience Columbus, the DMO for the Columbus, Ohio region. And prior to his 10 years in Columbus, Joe served in sales and marketing roles for Western Hotels and Resorts in Detroit, Pittsburgh, Charlotte, Washington, D.C., and the famed Plaza Hotel in New York City. Now, in his role overseeing Savannah's primary tourism marketing agency, Joe and his team focus on attracting both the visitor and conventions and meetings to the Savannah area while driving business to the more than 2,000 members of the Savannah Chamber of Commerce. Joe serves on the board of the Georgia Association of Convention and Visitor Bureaus and is a former chair of the Destinations International Foundation and serves on several local and statewide boards as well. In his free time, Joe enjoys golfing and playing tennis and has a passion for the pro sports teams of his hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, and heads back there regularly to see his mom and family. Joe Marinelli, welcome to DMOU.
1: Hello, Bill. How are you? Nice to talk to you again, I'm sure. Um, half of your readers bailed out at the Cleveland uh, sports team piece. but uh,
0: Not at all. In fact, when we did our pre-session prep a few weeks ago, you were in Cleveland. So how's mom?
1: Mom is fine. Mom is 88, about to turn 89. <laughs> it was nice to be home with her for a week and making her breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, at one point she said, I haven't cooked anything for you. And I said, Mom, you cooked everything for me for like 23 years. So the least I can do is uh, do it uh, for the week that I'm here. But she's doing well. Thank you for asking.
0: That's great. As you may not know, my adopted second home is Cleveland. I went to school just down the road for my uh, undergrad, and we are all shocked and in mourning over the recent passing of a Cleveland and a Midwest rock icon, Michael Stanley. For those who have never heard the artist that Amir Elan calls Ohio's Springsteen, (laughs) you need to go to my blog post-eulogy from March 12th to sample this guy's genius. The world is a lot less cool without Michael Stanley, and I know that you are a fan as well.
1: Can I tell you a really quick Michael Stanley story? Oh, please. So we moved to Savannah 14 years ago. And so we were in our our new home about two weeks. And the folks across the street came out to meet us. And uh, we were talking and uh, the gal said, where are you from? And I said, Ohio. And she said, oh, you know, I'm from Ohio as well. And I said, really, whereabouts? And she said, northern Ohio. And I said, well, I'm from northeast Ohio. Um, and she said, where are you from? And I said, well, the Cleveland area. And She said, well, I'm from the Cleveland area, too. I said, wow, that's great. And she said, you may have heard of my brother. His name is Michael. And before she could say anything, I said, Stanley? And she, said, <laughs> she said, my brother is Michael Stanley. And I said, that's crazy. You know, I grew up listening to Michael Stanley music and everything. Uh, So anyway, uh, fast forward a few months later, I was back in Cleveland, the Michael Stanley band was playing at one of the local clubs. I went up and introduced myself and it was fun, but it was just ironic that we moved into this house and Michael Stanley's sister um, was my new neighbor. So it was fun.
0: That's just so cool. Yeah. Terry and I, uh, as you know, Michael uh, wasn't playing a lot. He would play maybe, I don't know, a few weekends a year. Uh, in the past number of years and so it was probably three or four maybe five years ago that we saw he was playing the Tangiers over in Akron and so we hopped in the car and went I mean the sound sucked but man he was hot he's (laughs) he's he was he's incredible and uh, I encourage anybody who's not a fan uh, yet uh, to check his stuff out both back in his days with the band but more I'll tell you what some of his solo stuff in the past decade or so was just magnificent so anyway we've been looking to get you on dmou since the uh, pandemic hit and every time we saw you do something innovative by the time we got around to getting you on the show then everybody was doing it so it wasn't news anymore so we'd wait and it would happen again and we wouldn't get you scheduled in time and then everybody was doing it so finally we just said screw it and we're gonna do it so first off before we get to your three questions in your bonus round you just got back from your first in-person trade show so Tell us how it went. Give us the 411.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Jeff Hewitt, our senior vice president, and I went to Charlotte last week and spent Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday attending the RCMA convention, uh, Religious Conference Managers Association. And I have to tell you, it was terrific, Bill. First of all, my hat's off to Mike and the whole team in Charlotte that did a great job hosting and welcoming the group, but even more so, the leadership of CMA their annual convention is usually scheduled for January of every year. They bumped it this year to March, and it was great. About 400 buyers. About a hundred suppliers. The traffic at the booth was great, and you could just feel the energy of folks that were just so grateful to not only be out of their house but interacting with each other, uh, interacting with their, their friends and suppliers. And here in Savannah, we did very, very well and came back with a, a good handful of RFPs and leads and so forth. But right. you know, it really does prove that yes, we can do this, and we can do it safely. And my hats off to RCMA for pulling it off with the Charlotte people. They all did a great job.
0: Yeah, that's just great to hear. And of course, you've been able to do just the same in Savannah, and we'll get to that in a bit. But for people who understand protocols, this can be done. And yet we look at California and Illinois that just refuse to have any guidance whatsoever. On meetings and conventions and are just losing just tons of business and our heart goes out to them. So to your first question, you have been quietly leading throughout this pandemic with several initiatives that were designed to keep the lights on. You were really one of the very first DMOs to launch a safety pledge for area businesses called Savannah Safe, which gained 500 signups in just the first 10 days of businesses. And then you extended it to residents and to visitors. Now We saw some of these kind of pledges pre-COVID and destinations that were struggling with over-tourism. Tell us how your program came about and how it might actually continue to have legs going forward in a post-COVID world.
1: Yeah, well, it does, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, but, you know, some of this sounds a little bit old and stale now, but if you go back to April, May, and June, when we were all trying to figure out where we were going, you know, we were just like everybody else. I think it was mid to late May when we sat down with our mayor, our team here at Visit Savannah came back to the office full-time May 4th, and a lot of people you know, won't believe that, but we've been back since May 4th, and we were meeting with the mayor, and he said, look, I want to work with you. I want to get the city back open. I want to get people back to work, but I need some sort of good housekeeping seal of approval. I need something that we can promote, mm-hmm. and I said, Okay. Let's think through this with you. We'll come back to you with some ideas. And so we came back and we looked at, you know, the new protocols that were developing at the time. Of course, it's wear your mask, social distancing, wash your hands and so forth. So we drew up a poster. I had my graphic designer draw up a poster that put graphic elements to each of the new protocols. And we branded it all as if it came from the city of Savannah, not Visit Savannah and went back to him, called him up and said, look, I want to show you something. So he invited us to come over and we showed him this banner that did the iconology and demonstrated. And I said, so what if you got in your weekly press conference and challenged every business in this community to take the Savannah Safe Pledge? And I said, I'm not talking about just the The hospitality and tourism industry i'm talking about the Goodyear tire shop i'm talking about the local dentist office i'm talking about hotels and restaurants and retail. What if you came out real strong and said look, we want to get people back to work, we want to get the city open again we want to get visitors coming back. We are challenging the business community in this town to take the savannah safe pledge. He agreed to do that. We had to do some back-end work to make sure that once somebody went online at savannasafepledge.com, they would commit to doing everything that they could to support the new protocols. And in turn, once they hit the pledge button, we sent them a copy of the poster that they could print out in color and post in their window or on their front desk or whatever. So following the circle, the mayor did just that. He got into one of his, uh, his press conferences, put that challenge out there. And, you know, I have to tell you, Bill, none of us had any idea of what kind of expectations to have, right? And we thought, well, if we get 50 or 60 businesses, you know, that'd be great. Within 48 hours, we had 174 companies, businesses locally sign up. A couple of minutes ago, you mentioned 500. The reality is within the first seven days, we had over 700 local companies uh, sign up and take the Savannah Safe Pledge. And I checked it again this morning. And at the moment, we're at 811 local companies that have taken the pledge. Wow. Yeah. And and it really was the trigger that he needed to begin to loosen his grip on uh, letting us start to open up the city. And it worked. So now I'll take you two different directions. You mentioned the personal pledge. Once we saw the momentum of the Savannah Safe Pledge, we thought, well, let's put out there the Savannah Safe Personal Pledge and get individuals and even visitors that are coming into our city and take it. And uh, so we put that out there. I'll be frank with you and tell you, we've only had a couple of hundred folks take the personal pledge, but we've not marketed it and promoted it quite as much as we did the entire business community. So that's that. And then as it relates to having legs, you know, I'll be honest with you, we we hadn't really looked at the Savannah Safe Pledge much through the holidays here recently, but St. Patrick's Day is a big deal in Savannah every year. You know, a lot of folks will tell you that we have one of the biggest St. Patrick's Day celebrations in the country, certainly the biggest in the South. So we went back to the Savannah Safe Pledge, refreshed all the graphics, and pumped it back out to the local community saying, take the Savannah Safe Pledge for St. Patrick's. Day because we know people are going to be in town partying and so forth. Oh, perfect. And then we talked about, okay, when St. Patrick's Day is over and it's April and the flowers are blooming, we'll rebrand it, take the Savannah Safe Pledge for springtime. If we need to take the Savannah Safe Pledge for summer travel, you know, and so forth, and we'll build on it from there. But, you know, a lot, as you said, a lot of destinations have grabbed onto the idea and mimicked it. And for us here in Savannah, it's been a big success.
0: And you look at the uh, research coming in from destination analysts and Amir at Longwoods, that still is indicating that, you know, roughly two in five residents are still a little nervous about welcoming people into our communities. And you know, that's that's close enough to 50% for me to say, mm-hmm. all right, chances are half the people want visitors and half don't. And so I think that the legs I see for those communities that may not have followed your lead early is this is a way to hopefully try to assure people that the DMO takes this seriously. And we try to get our visitors to join us in taking it seriously. And I think that this may have some some validity for at least the next year until people feel we've gotten to that point where people aren't fearful to leave their house or fearful to welcome somebody into their town.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. As you said, we have followed the research. I mean, we we don't make a marketing decision without it being research-based and database and so forth. And, you know, we've looked closely at what Longwoods International does, uh, what our friends at Destination Analysts do, and the information that they share with us regularly. And that's been the backbone when we've gone back to the elected officials, when we've gone back to the business community, when we've made presentations in front of tourism leaders and business leaders and civic leaders, we've demonstrated to them, listen, this is what people are saying as it relates to how important safety is when they visit a city like Savannah. So it's all been very good for us.
0: As I mentioned earlier, you successfully hosted the Georgia Society of Association Executives with some amazing health protocols in place that worked this past summer, coming up on a year ago, that really became the model for many destinations as not a single person that you hosted ended up becoming infected at that event. What were you able to do that reassured your government that conventions can be hosted safely and responsibly, something that they still haven't been able to do in Illinois and California?
1: Yeah, well, frankly, it wasn't any more complicated than getting them involved in the process. Mm -hmm. The GSAE annual convention typically happens in May. We worked with the executive director of that organization, Wendy Kavanaugh. We worked with the, uh, the management team at the Hyatt Regency here in Savannah. And then we worked with the mayor's office. So it was the four entities really rallying together, sitting and having conversations and saying, look, you know, the city saying, look, these are our expectations. We want clear communications. We want to make sure that everybody's following the protocol. We want to make sure that the Hyatt is setting the rooms properly and so forth. And, you know, as we sit here today in the middle of March, you almost kind of snicker and smile at some of this stuff because these things are beginning to happen, you know, pretty regularly. But remember, these conversations were happening in May and June of last year, and it was all new and we were all learning and cutting our teeth on it. So to sit with the Hyatt staff yeah. and, uh, and do the CAD drawings to, to determine, you know, four people at a round table versus eight people and laying out the room at 64 increments. Working with Wendy at GSAE as it related to pre-conference communications to all of her prospective attendees, the way that we helped her promoted and market the event here at Visit Savannah. So, you know, it was just a great collaborative effort that brought all the parties together and said, okay, what are the expectations? How are we going to meet them? And then laying that out. And as you said, uh, Wendy reports no cases um, that came from it. I think her total attendance was maybe about 185 people, still smaller in nature, mm-hmm. but again, sort of like the RCMA example we talked about a minutes ago we can do this and we were really pleased with the success that we had well
0: and it can be done because if we couldn't do it we'd be hearing about it in the news because you know the national news is eager to jump on churches and weddings and super bowl parties and everything else that don't have protocols i mean we would be an easy target in the meetings and conventions industry if we weren't taking this seriously. And I think that this is an industry that took it very seriously, very early. And congratulations for what you did, because I think that you, you really showed us, and I think it was one of Jeff's Uh, LinkedIn posts when he talked about two or three weeks out that there had been no reports of any infections that had, last time I saw it, I think a couple thousand likes, because I mean, we're all so eager to know that this can be done.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And You know, there was more hinging on the success of that effort. You know, most of the conventions that we had on the books, like everywhere else in the country, most of what we had on the books for the remainder of the year had gone away. But we had one big customer, the National Agriculture Aviation Association. We call them the crop dusters here. In town. <laughs> NAAA had their annual convention booked with us in December. And they said to us, unless Savannah can prove that you can manage this, we're not coming. So we used the GSAE example to show them how it worked. They continued with their commitment to Savannah in December. They brought about 850 people. They used the Savannah Convention Center versus the Hyatt and had a terrific, successful event. So not only did we get the August meeting with GSAE, it helped us save the ag aviators in December. But here's the bonus to that. So ag aviators were scheduled to do their 2021 December convention in Long Beach, California guess what they ain't doing it in long beach california this year so they came back to us and said hey if you've got room in december we'd like to come back to savannah this year and uh, so we're gonna bring them back for the second consecutive year. They're gonna help fill a gap for us this year. And oh, by the way, it happens to be their 100th anniversary. So, you know, not only by December will we be past all of this, but their attendance will skyrocket because it's their 100th anniversary. So we laid some seeds that, uh, that grew into acorns and trees and um, <laughs> we're really pleased with that. Yeah.
0: Congratulations. Speaking of conventions, You have just gotten the green light in Savannah to expand yours, your convention center, while the pandemic still has the country in its grip. Here in Madison, we've been having the same discussions about expanding Monona Terrace, but local leaders have shut the door like really hard over the past few weeks saying, now is not the time. And I'm guessing that we're probably not alone. How did you convince local leaders that this is the time, this is the perfect time to move forward with an initiative like an expansion of a convention center
1: well you know Truth be told, I mean, this this effort really started, you know, five or six years ago with the previous leaders here locally and at the state leadership level. As Savannah has grown in popularity as a visitor destination, needless to say, the demand and interest in bringing meetings and conventions has come along with it. So previous leadership really gave us the encouragement to move forward, but we really needed state funding to make this happen. And that meant going back to our our new governor, Brian Kemp, who a lot of people are familiar with through the pandemic, and convincing him that this expansion is not just good for Savannah, but it's good for Georgia. It's an opportunity to boost economic prosperity along the coast, not just for Savannah or Chatham County. He bought into that. He appreciated that the project was shovel-ready Um, because of the work done with the prior administration. And when we could clearly demonstrate, Governor Kemp, this list of 50 current customers have told us that if you don't expand, we're gonna have to go elsewhere. That was the tipping point, if you will, when he said, look, Georgia must keep moving forward and we can't afford to lose this kind of business uh, to other cities and states. So, you know, it's, it's an ongoing process. He just put ninety million dollars into the budget this year, and we'll go back and ask for the final ninety million next year. But all the pieces are coming together, and uh, we expect to break ground on the project sometime this month.
0: Oh, that is just sensational. And uh, honestly, there's probably a lot more that went into it. And you know, by saying that this was already in play, so was ours. I mean, they've been talking about it. They've had uh, feasibility studies sitting on the shelf for three years. I mean, it was a go and our new administration didn't take what had been done prior and just essentially has said, this isn't the time. And I, and I get that every city, you know, has its different fiscal realities and, you know, you guys haven't been closed as long as we have. And I mean, we're just getting to 50% in our restaurants now this week. So you've done great work down there to keep the foot on the pedal and uh, Mm -hmm. can't wait uh, to see that come out of the ground. What kind of a timeline are you looking at?
1: For successful breaking ground this month, we are projecting uh, a completion date of uh, probably mid to late summer 2023.
0: Okay. Excellent.
1: Part of the process to convince the governor about this being good for Georgia's economy, not just Savannah, was showing him and demonstrating to him the air service piece of this, right? It's not just about filling local hotel rooms or putting butts in seats in restaurants, but it gave us something to go back to. JetBlue and Delta and American and Allegiant and Southwest and say, hey, we're expanding our convention center. That means new opportunities for all of you as well. And I think as of uh, March 11th, which is uh, later this week, uh, we'll be up to 44 nonstop cities flying in and out of Savannah, which is a pretty big deal for us, as you can
0: imagine. Well, it reminds me of a great story that you may have heard, and some of our listeners may remember Wayne Chappell from Baltimore. Well, Baltimore at the time. He went on to, I think, Kansas City and, and a couple other cities. But when he was in Baltimore, he yeah. was running the campaign to build a convention center, but it was gonna be funded by the state. And the state, I think, in an initial poll, uh, you know, out of the 20 senators, like one from the, from the city of Baltimore was gonna vote yes, and the rest of them were gonna vote no. And he had to figure out, what's that hook? What, how can I say that this helps Maryland? Well, Maryland is one of the biggest mm-hmm. chicken producing states in the country. And
1: yep, Purdue in, Chicken in Purdue
0: every chicken. single county has a chicken production company. And he went around and he says, Who eats a lot of chicken? Convention delegates. Mm-hmm. And they got it done because all of a sudden all the senators went, oh, yeah, yeah, my chicken producers are going to benefit from this. And so they all said yes. Yeah, it's just so
1: funny. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's really brilliant.
0: So time for your bonus round question. And this is where we typically have some fun with our guests revealing something unusual about their career path or (laughs) a funny event. And I'm not surprised that despite having hundreds of those kinds of stories, Mr. Marinelli, yes. that's not what you wanted to do with your bonus round. <laughs> Instead, and really, who am I to enforce the format of this podcast, right? It's <laughs> who cares? What you wanted to do was you wanted to shine a light on your incredibly talented staff at Visit Savannah. So the floor is yours, my friend.
1: Well, we've talked about a lot here today, Bill, and I appreciate the opportunity to do that. I, for whatever reason, tend to get a lot of that credit, and I shouldn't, because it really comes down to is a really great staff. We break up our staff a couple of different ways. Of course, we have our our sales team and then our marketing team and then our visitor center team. But, you know, on the on the sales side, I have a team of very seasoned and experienced professionals that never wavered through this whole pandemic and had to get creative about how they communicated with their customers through LinkedIn, through TikTok, um, et cetera, et cetera, and really were inventive about how to stay in touch with their friends, um, their, their counterparts and so forth. So we were very, very blessed and fortunate to have a strong season and sales team in place that just you know said, okay, we can deal with this and we'll figure it out as we go. On the marketing side, you know, it's, it's almost the opposite. Our marketing and communications team led by Jeremy Harvey is the best and the brightest. I mean, I think I think we've had a Destinations International 30 under 30 representative for the last seven consecutive years because it's that level of talent that we have here. Equally as creative, they teach me more about marketing than than I could ever teach them. And they've not been afraid to take chances to be creative with our social media and so forth. Uh, We continue to be recognized for um, some of the initiatives that we've talked about. And, you know, on the visitor center side, we shut it down right at the beginning of the pandemic. And we're looking at how we're going to kind of reinvent that Visitor center experience as they open back up again. But, you know, I'm just very, very fortunate to be surrounded by um, some really talented people that have been committed to this effort from day one. And I appreciate the opportunity to recognize them a little bit.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, you guys are always out front, especially on social. When Periscope came on the scene, and it didn't last like we all kind of hoped and thought it would, but I knew you guys were on it almost immediately and had a series. Of Periscope videos that were really fascinating and just really highlighted the downtown of Savannah and your Forest Gump side. And it was cool stuff. And you, you continue to do it day in and day out. And so congratulations.
1: Well, if you're going to bring up uh, Periscope, uh, one more little story, because our friend Amir Elon would not be happy if I didn't say his name at least once in this podcast. But uh, <laughs> if you go back a number of years, um, Amir and I were talking on, uh, on the phone on the way to work one morning, and I had never heard of Periscope. And he said to me, what is your Periscope strategy? And I said, what? what are you talking about? And he said, Periscope, it's the new uh, social media video thing. And I said, I don't know, I'll have to look it up. And he said, I'll tell you what, when you get to the office, walk into your marketing guy's office and say, hey, before the end of the day, I want to know what our Periscope strategy is. And I said, okay. I had no idea what I was talking about. I went in uh, and Jeremy said, oh, yeah, that's easy. We'll have that to you in a couple of hours. And and we were off to the races. So uh, it was perfect. But Amir was the inspiration for uh, getting us jump started on Periscope back then.
0: Very, very cool. Well, hey, Joe, thank you for your leadership over the years through DI, the things you do in Savannah that we all pick up on and go, hmm. Maybe we should copy that one, too. You've been a great friend and a great advantage for all of us here in the industry. So thanks so much. Well, I'm
1: flattered to be asked. And uh, I hope you and your listeners and readers uh, will come visit us in Savannah. We have plenty of availability still, especially Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So uh, come see us. But uh, thank you, Bill. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yeah, can't wait to come back. Thanks again. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at H2R Market Research. You face questions about where to expand, what to market, and how to increase visitation. H2R helps you make those decisions with the most powerful ingredient available, and that is your customer's voice, so you can grow visitation to your community. For more information, go to h2rmarketingresearch.com dmopros.com is where you're going to find links to our services, to the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our position papers on community development and board diversity, our videos, our blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as past episodes of DMOU. That's dmopros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until
1: next time.